Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today will be study number 10 of Daniel chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 16 and 17. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. In our last study, we spent some time looking at the word pulse, and we saw that it is food that comes from seed. It would be fruit or vegetables and uh, natural food. And this is a result of the rain. As we read in Isaiah chapter 55, God sends the rain, which in turn gives seed to the sower. And, and therefore, the pulse that Daniel and his friends preferred and and really risked their lives for, that is, that they intended to eat only pulse and drink only water and not the king's meat, nor the king's wine, and they were determined to do this, that pulse represents the gospel that was... Uh, falling outside of the churches and the congregations, known in the Bible as the latter rain, and the gospel that was falling in the world, and Babylon is a picture of the world. And so Daniel and his three friends chose uh, the gospel, the, the true teaching of the Bible, and God granted it to them, and, and again, Melzar is um, either the prince of the eunuchs or he's operating under the authority of the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs is a type and figure of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was Christ that gave his people the rain, the latter rain, and nourished them and fed them as they left the churches during that second part of the Great Tribulation period. Well, all right, now we're going to move on into verse 17. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, the first part of verse 17 says, as for these four children, and again, we've mentioned this before, but God's bringing it up again, so we'll mention it again. There are four main characters in, insofar as the Jewish people are concerned and, and these four young Jewish children are God's people, so they are representative of God's elect. And we know that the number four in the Bible when it is teaching a spiritual truth, teaches 
universality or or that which is all-encompassing. Four identifies with the four points of the compass, north, south, east, west. Or the, the Bible mentions the four corners of the earth to indicate this is something worldwide, universal. And it's the same here. It is the furthest extent of that which is in view. And in this case, it's the four children, four elect. And these four children, four children of God, are representing God's elect in all of Babylon. We know there were thousands of Israelites. There must have been or tens of thousands of Israelites taken captive into Babylon. There, there must have been hundreds or thousands of children. Yet the book of Daniel concentrates on these four, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You, you will not find other Israelites named except um, back in Daniel 1, in verse 1, we read of uh, the name of the king of Judah as a time reference. But as far as the book of Daniel and the narrative portion, which is the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, we will only read about these four young men. We're not going to read about others that may have been in Babylon, and and certainly there were other true believers. We we know of Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel tells us he he was among the captives in Ezekiel chapter one, in verse one. Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river of Chebar, that the heavens were open, and I saw visions of God. Now it it turns out that this is the year 593 that Ezekiel is referring to and so it would be several years into the future from Daniel chapter 1 but keep in mind the the book of Daniel covers the the whole life of Daniel in Babylon and he was there for decades and uh, Ezekiel would have been there when Daniel was there. But we do not read of Ezekiel in the book of Daniel or any other of God's children, any other Israelites except for these four. Because these four represent all of the elect. And And what we read concerning these four can be applied to all God's elect in Babylon spiritually, that is, during the Great Tribulation period, when the elect have come out of the church, because Judah is a picture of the corporate church, and they have gone into captivity, into Babylon. Babylon must be the world. And uh, as we read of Daniel and his three friends, their exploits in Babylon are giving us spiritual information regarding 
the people of God's exploits in the world during that last about 17 years of the latter rain, 1994 through May 21, 2011, when God uh, would evangelize the earth and save a great multitude. And, and actually, the book of Daniel is primarily focused on their trials, as God would test his people, uh, especially hard during that period of time. Now, in the book of Revelation, and we've mentioned this before, but I want to turn there again in Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9 is a chapter dealing with Judgment Day. It is revealing to us information concerning the final judgment of the world or of Babylon, as Babylon pictures the world. And it says in Revelation 9, beginning in verse 14, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Now let's stop there. God commands, loose the four angels. And, and in the Bible, in the Old Testament, as well as in, in the New, the word for angels can also properly be translated as messengers. Loose the four messengers which are bound. If you're bound, what, what would that identify with? Someone who is bound is a captive. You are held captive. You're a prisoner. And Daniel and his three friends are captives in Babylon. That was according to the commandment of God. Go into captivity in Babylon. And, and, and so the good figs went into captivity. They went to Babylon to be bound. And here, um, mysteriously, God, at the sounding of the sixth angel, is declaring, Loose the four messengers which are bound in the great river Euphrates. Euphrates is a river that belongs to who? It identifies with which nation? Well, it it's the river that identifies with Babylon. In Jeremiah chapter 51, it says in verse 60, So Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that should come upon Babylon, even all these words that are written against Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sarahiah, When thou comest to Babylon, when you come to Babylon, and shalt see, and shall read all these words, then shalt thou say, O Jehovah, thou hast spoken against this place to cut it off, that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but that it shall be desolate forever, and it shall be, when thou hast made an end of reading this book, that thou shalt bind a stone to it, and cast it into the midst of Euphrates. 
and thou shalt say, Thus shall Babylon sink, and shall not rise from the evil that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. Thus far the words of Jeremiah. Well, you see, the the instructions were to Sarahiah when he comes to Babylon, take the words of this book and and um, and tie it to a stone, and you will cast it into the midst of the Euphrates. And what what does that clearly tell us about the Euphrates? That it must be in Babylon, or it must be a river that's part of Babylon, because the instructions given to Sarahiah were, once you arrive, once you come to Babylon, then you cast the book, the the condemnation of God that, that he had written, into the river Euphrates. And, and that means, without any question whatsoever, Euphrates is representative of Babylon. And, and so here in Revelation 9, in verse 14, loose the four messengers which are bound or held captive in the great river Euphrates. They're bound in Babylon. In other words, we have a, a parallel scripture to what we're reading in Daniel 1 verse 17 concerning these four children. The four children are bound in Babylon. The four angels or messengers of Revelation 9.14 are bound in Babylon. It, it's, it's a parallel understanding. It, these ideas relate. The messengers, we know God um, identifies with his elect in many, many instances, or the the angelos, the angels, as that word is also translated messengers, and the four children identify with God's elect. And just as four children are representative of all God's elect, so would the four messengers be representative of all God's elect. Well, let's go on and read in Revelation 9, verse 15. And the four angels, angelos, the four messengers, were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year for to slay the third part of men. The four messengers are loosed. And again, what is the setting? Or when is the setting for Revelation 9? It's judgment day. It is the end of the Great Tribulation period. And in the Old Testament, God set up a figure of a 70-year period from 609 B.C. until 539 B.C., a period of time in which Babylon was victorious and Babylon prevailed the king of Babylon uh, conquered Judah, conquered Jerusalem, destroyed Jerusalem, burned it with fire, took the Jews captives, took the vessels of the temple, 
into Babylon and ruled in uh, really a tremendous way, not only over the people of Judah, but over many nations, over practically the known world of that time. He was the great ruler, and and for 70 years, that's how it was, until then, in a night, the king um, Cyrus of the Medes and the Persians came with his army and took the kingdom of Babylon. All that true historical record is a picture that spiritually points to the Great Tribulation, when Satan is loosed and and uh, he overcomes the camp of the saints. He takes his seat in the temple, showing himself that he is God, and he's victorious over the corporate church, and, and Satan's rule in the world is expanded and greater than it's ever been before in history during the period of the Great Tribulation, throughout the entire 23 years. But then comes the end of the Great Tribulation, the end of that 70-year historical period, and Babylon falls. The rule of Satan in the church and the world is overcome by Christ And Christ takes the kingdom like Cyrus took Babylon. Christ begins to rule with a rod of iron, but it is after the tribulation. And the Bible tells us the time immediately after the tribulation is a time when the sun is darkened and so forth. There's no more light of the gospel. It's judgment day for the world. But the Bible also tells us that that's the time King Cyrus of the Medes issues the decree to release the Jewish captives. They may return to Jerusalem. They can, they can leave Babylon. They have been loosed. And, and so the loosing of the four angels, the four messengers, relates to the period of the end of the 70 years or the end of the Great Tribulation and the beginning of Judgment Day. That also fits with Daniel and his friends being in captivity in Babylon. Of course, at this time, they're just starting out, just beginning their captivity. And yet, by the time we get to Daniel 5 and Daniel chapter 6, In Daniel 5, Cyrus takes the kingdom. And in Daniel chapter 6, Cyrus is ruling over the kingdom of Babylon. The Medes and the Persians have conquered them. And by that time, there has been a loosing. And the the loosing of the four messengers relates to God's salvation or deliverance of all the elect that were living in the world. And each and every one that God had chosen to become saved had become saved by this point. There is no longer any individual that is held captive to sin or to Satan. And the king of Babylon typifies Satan. No 
elect of God is is held in spiritual captivity to sin or Satan any longer once judgment day comes. And that's why, look at the next verse in verse 16 of Revelation 9, and the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand, and I heard the number of them. And where do they come from? We wonder as we read this. We were reading about four angels and four messengers that were loosed. And all of a sudden, God switches and begins to speak of the this number of the army of the horsemen, 200 million. Where did they come from? Well, the 200 million are... It's, it's language to either give us the accurate number of all those God saved, or they represent everyone that God saves, the complete number of the elect. All have been saved. It's a, another way of saying, uh, four messengers. Four identifying with the four corners of the earth, all of God's elect everywhere in, in every nation, or here's another way of saying the same thing, 200 million. They are the four messengers that have been loosed from Euphrates, from Babylon, from this world. And and, and then God speaks of the 200 million going forth in judgment, in judgment. And the 200 million um, are that which slay the third part because this is all of God's elect. There's no one else to be saved and, and that information or that fact destroys all those in the corporate church that did not listen to God, that refused to hearken to God's command to come out and go to Babylon. No, they they insisted on staying in Judea staying within the church, and finally at the end, um, there's no more latter rain, there's no more salvation, no more possibility, and this kills the third part. But, well, anyway, let's go back to Daniel chapter 1 and verse 17 again. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. God gave them knowledge. The, the word knowledge is the, in Hebrew, 4093 in Strong's Concordance. It's actually the same word that was translated as science earlier, back in verse 4 of Daniel 1. Uh, this word is only found six times in the Old Testament. And three of those times are in Second Chronicles chapter 1. Second Chronicles 1, beginning in verse 10. It says, Give me now wisdom and knowledge, that I may go out and come in before this people. Who can judge this thy people that is so great? And God said to Solomon, Because this was in thine heart, and thou hast not asked riches, wealth, or honor, nor the life of thine enemies. Neither yet has asked long life, but has asked wisdom 
and knowledge for thyself, that thou mayest judge my people, over whom I have made thee king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto thee, and I will give thee riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had that have been before thee, neither shall there any after thee have the like. Solomon requests wisdom and knowledge. God grants wisdom and knowledge. And this is a very important teaching of the Bible. And we see it in our verse, God gave them knowledge. God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. God gave Solomon knowledge and wisdom. That's the point that's important. You know, when we look at uh, how the world obtains knowledge, how how the people of the world gain understanding of things, how do they do it? Well, they think you have to put in uh, a lot of effort. You have to um, go to school and, and you have to study hard and you have to go from high school to college and maybe college to a master's program and a master's to a doctorate. Uh, you, you just, you seek after it and, and you put in um, all kinds of effort to obtain it and and you can become a lawyer or you can become a doctor or you can become a, a computer technician uh, you you can do all these things you can get the knowledge necessary for the career that you want and it's work 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 and well you know there is a great deal of work involved with studying the Bible. We know that, and God tells us that. He He tells us, compare Scripture with Scripture, and study to show thyself to prove the workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And, and so we know, yes, you have to put in work in the Bible. You must um, put in time and, and effort and comparing Scripture with Scripture, looking at the original languages, looking at how the same word has been used elsewhere. Yes, we're we're aware of these things. Yet there there is also another extremely important truth, and that is that that a man, or any man, or or all men could work from morning till night, day after day after day, for year after year after year, and never come to the knowledge of the truth. Never obtain right knowledge and understanding or wisdom. As a matter of fact, they may end up a million miles away from knowledge and wisdom and understanding concerning the things of God. Because God has hidden truth. The The Bible tells us God is a God that hides himself. God conceals knowledge and understanding. And he, he does tell the reader, now get out your shovel 
and and pickaxe and go to work and dig for it as for buried treasure. And and theologians have gone to work and theologians have put in hours of study. Yet, if someone lacks the Spirit of God, if an individual lacks the Holy Spirit, then it doesn't matter how much time or effort they put into studying the Bible, they're never going to come to truth because God will resist them. They ultimately, finally, in their hearts will be proud because that's the natural uh, makeup of the unsaved in their heart. And God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And and so the Lord will resist the Pope and the bishop and the priest and the pastor and the elder and the deacon and even the layperson who does not have his spirit within. And And so God tells us to go to work in the Bible and search for spiritual truth. But we have to know that It is the Holy Spirit that guides into all truth, and it is God himself that grants understanding. Remember in Luke chapter 24, when Jesus was having the conversation with two disciples, two believers, on the road to Emmaus, that it finally came to the point in Luke 24, in verse 44, and he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then open he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. He open their understanding. Open And that's interesting because that word open indicates their understanding had been closed. If if your understanding isn't open, it's closed. And, And so then Jesus had been telling them about the things in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning himself, things they had probably heard often because they were Jews and they would go to synagogue and, and they would hear their, their rabbis or their, the, the Pharisees that were teaching or some other sect and, and they would read these same scriptures and yet their understanding was not open until the point now when Jesus opened Their understanding. You see, to rightly understand the Bible or any teaching in the Bible, it really requires an act on Christ's part to grant us understanding. He has to open up our eyes, we say all the time. Open up our eyes, Lord, that that we might behold wondrous things in thy laws, it says in Psalm 119. And, and, and so we're reading the Bible and reading the Bible and, and all of a sudden we read a verse and, 
we have some thoughts and we put those thoughts together with some other verses and then we have a bit of understanding concerning that verse and and we see something new spiritually and we say oh now i see what that's saying and our understanding was open was it a result of our effort no we've read it maybe a hundred times and we've never seen it before and, and there's nothing in us in other words that uh, would bring us to that understanding as a matter of fact we could read it a thousand more times and not understand it but according to God's timetable for us individually as God works very personally with each person and it was the Lord's doing, if we're a child of God, to grant us understanding on that verse. And, and so now we see, now we know, or now we hear. Uh, you know, the word open here in Luke 24 is used in Mark chapter 7. In Mark 7, uh, the Lord encountered a deaf man in verse 32. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears. And he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith, Unto him, Ephetha, that is, be open. And straightway his ears were open, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. This is the same word, and this word isn't used all that many times in the New Testament Greek. And, and here we find there's a deaf man, and, and he has a speech impediment, And the Lord Jesus takes him and he says, be open. This is very similar to what Jesus did with the two disciples on the way to Emmaus. He opened their understanding. Here Christ opened the ears of the deaf. So now, of course, this means that that physically the man could not hear and now he can hear he could he could hear people talk or he could hear sounds we understand that but this is the bible and the picture is of an open understanding when someone who is deaf begins to hear it's like they can hear the bible for the first time They can hear the truth that God has recorded on the pages of the scripture. Um, For example, turn to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, and this is that great chapter uh, with the parable of the sower and, and other parables in which Jesus reveals why he speaks in parables. But it says... In verse 13 of Matthew 13, Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, 
neither do they understand. Notice how Christ spoke of hearing, they do not hear, and then um, tied it to not understanding. They do not hear, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Christ could have added uh, along with this, Blessed are your ears, for they hear and understand. To hear means to understand. To lack hearing or to be deaf means you do not understand. And that is the condition of the natural man. In his spiritual deadness, he does not understand the things of God. And God tells us this again and again in the Bible. Uh, just, just a couple of verses. For instance, in Proverbs 28, in verse 5, Evil men understand not judgment, but they that seek Jehovah understand all things. And we could substitute evil men hear not, and but they that seek Jehovah hear all. And hearing and understanding, or seeing and understanding, go hand in hand. Or this familiar verse in Daniel 12, it says in verse 10, Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. It, it, it is the natural situation for the unsaved to not understand the Bible. They cannot, as a matter of fact, because spiritually they are deaf and and blind and and dead. And, and what what understanding does a dead person have? What can a dead person perceive? Nothing. They they have none understanding in them. Well, a wise man's heart perceiveth or discerneth time and judgment. Time and judgment. God's people understand or hear time and judgment. We hear the Bible. God opens our understanding. The wise will understand in the proper season. And we begin to come to knowledge, gain understanding that God must give regarding his program of times and seasons. But for the rest, as it says in Romans chapter 3, in verse 10, as it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. None understand. That is an all-encompassing 
declaration of God concerning every unsaved individual in the world. And it's why the world treats the Bible the way the world treats the Bible. It's why religions have gone the broad way to destruction. It's why so many have signed up and professed to be Christian and then follow another gospel because they have none understanding. None understand the right way, the narrow path that God has laid out in his word. It's only when Christ opens a person's understanding, when he gives ears to the deaf. And then, as it says in Isaiah 29, in Isaiah chapter 29, God really makes an incredible statement that can only be found in in a holy book like the Bible, in a book that um, just transcends all other writings. A, a statement like this makes no sense in any earthly book, but in the book of God, it makes perfect sense to those that have ears to hear. In Isaiah 29 and verse 18, And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book, and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. And and what a glorious prophecy this is concerning God's salvation program in that day, and especially the day that would come at the time of the end, when the Great Tribulation would usher in or bring in the beginning of the end of the world. It was the the beginning stage for the end of the world. In that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book. And the book is the Bible. The, the Bible is the divine revelation of the Almighty God. It is a spiritual word, and, and men, yes, the natural man has read the Bible. Probably more natural men have read the Bible than spiritual men or individuals that God has saved, um, numbering more than God's elect, and yet they've read it with natural ears. It's been read aloud to them. They've heard the words in a physical way, but they've not been able to decipher or perceive or have proper understanding of the spiritual dimension uh, of the depths of the Word of God. They, they just can't hear it. But God opens the understanding. He opens the ears of his people, and, and they do hear. As it says in Isaiah 28, verse 9, Whom shall he teach knowledge, and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Uh, notice how these, uh, these verses are phrased, and, and how God says that he gave them knowledge and, and understanding. And here the question is posed, whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast? For precept must be 
upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Or uh, let's turn to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8 and Nehemiah is a book here in this chapter that's related to the Feast of Tabernacles and and the time when God uh, does open up his word during what what can be identified as the Feast of the Bible, the time of the end. And to emphasize this, there are 13 men that, uh, well, let's just get the the picture. Ezra, the priest, is reading the Bible to the congregation of Israel. And this is the congregation that have uh, come out of Babylon. And he opens the book and he reads the book. But you see that that's just hearing with your natural ear. But then there are 13 men that, well, well, let me read in Nehemiah 8 verse 5, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And in this case, Ezra is a type of Christ opening the scriptures like Jesus opened their understanding that they might understand. And Ezra blessed Jehovah, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped Jehovah with their faces to the ground. And also, Jeshua, now count them, Jeshua is one, Bani two, Sherebiah three, Jamin four, Akab five, Shabithiai six, Hadijah seven, Maasiah eight, Kalita nine, Azariah 10, Jazabad 11, Hanan 12, Peliah 13 men are named, and the Levites. So 13 men, and then it says, cause the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. You see, this is all God's doing. Ezra opens the book. Thirteen men caused the people to understand the law. Even in that day, long ago, we can be sure that they were not just reading the, the literal words and, and going by the literal understanding. No, they were the people of God then, like there's the people of God today, and God has operated the same way, and he gave his people understanding. Now, this reminds us of when Jesus broke the bread miraculously and multiplied the bread, and then he gave to his disciples and then gave the disciples to the multitude. And, and so here Ezra opens the book. He would be, again, a type of Christ. And then Ezra has 13 helpers. Uh, it's like Christ giving the disciples to the multitude. And they cause the people to understand the law. 13, and the number 13 points to the end of the world. 1988, 
was the 13,000th year of Earth's history. It began the Great Tribulation, and during the Great Tribulation, it was God's plan to unseal the Bible and for knowledge to increase according to Daniel chapter 12 and and verses 3 and 4. Knowledge would increase. And the way knowledge increases is God grants understanding. God causes, he makes people to understand. Uh, uh, You know, this is actually uh, a wonderful hope for the child of God because I'm sure you, uh, like myself, have read the Bible and read passages and shook your head and said to yourself, well, I don't understand that. And and maybe after the 10th time or the 50th time or the 500th time, you've read that and you shook your head and you said, I don't understand. And then you start getting discouraged and you think, and I'm never going to understand. I'm never going to comprehend or, or to see the spiritual truth that God has there. It's beyond me. It's above me. I just don't have the ability. And you know what? You're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. You lack the ability. You lack the ability to understand the Bible. Actually, the whole Bible, and so do I. So does every man. We do not have it within us. It is not our book. Um, to begin with, it's God's book. And, and who can understand the things of a man except the spirit of man within him? Who can understand the things of God except the spirit of God? And, and so we have to come to the point and, and, you know, this is the wonderful thing because every one of us can go to God at any time. We can do it today. And we can go and pick a verse or pick a chapter and we can say, Oh Lord, I lack understanding. And we have all kinds of biblical examples where we can use the language of the Bible and we can say, Oh Lord, open my understanding. Make me to understand. Cause me to understand, grant me uh, understanding and knowledge and and so forth. And, and we can just again and again go to the Word of God. Now, uh, going back to our verse in Daniel again, in Daniel 1, verse 17, As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And the word learning, the word learning is a very interesting word. It's Strong's number 5612. And it is most often translated as book. Book. And the book, of course, that is in view is the Bible. Um, in... Second Kings chapter 22, Second Kings 22, beginning in verse 8, it says, 
And Hilkiah, the high priest, said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of Jehovah. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again, and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work, that have the oversight of the house of Jehovah. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king, and it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes. The book of the law. The word book is the word translated as learning. Or it's the same word as in Psalm 40 and verse 7. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. And we could go and look at many other verses where it would be translated as book. And, and in verse after verse, it identifies with the Bible. The Bible is the book. And so here in Daniel 1, verse 17, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning in all the book and wisdom. There is our hope and encouragement for each one of God's elect people. God gives knowledge and skill in all the book. The Holy Spirit guides into all truth. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to know everything about everything in the Bible, but it does mean that God will give us knowledge regarding everything that he wants us to understand and to know. And the book of Daniel, really, uh, in chapter after chapter, uh, especially in the, the historical narrative part, the first six chapters, is really a book that greatly encourages the people of God that when we lack understanding, when we lack knowledge, that we can turn to God. And we see that when King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And there was no way in the world that Daniel and his friends could know what that dream was. The the magicians and, and the soothsayers of Babylon were correct. N- nobody can tell uh, another person what their dream is and and then interpret it. But as Daniel said, there's a God in heaven and the God in heaven is able uh, to tell the king his dream and to interpret it. And you see, that's how we approach the Bible. Daniel had no possible way of knowing the dream. We, due to our creature limitations have no possible way of knowing the the spiritual meaning of the scripture and and all we can do and it's a a big thing really is turn to God and make request and and prayer is extremely important uh we've stressed and 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 restressed and emphasize and reemphasize scripture with scripture Scripture with Scripture, here a little, there a little, and all of our conclusions must harmonize 
Well, what's equally or more important is making request of God for his help and guidance as we we do put in the effort, put in the time and work to understand a verse, we also have to pray, O Lord, open my understanding. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.